0: Each year, 264,000 women in the United States are diagnosed with breast cancer, and 42,000 die from the disease, according to CDC statistics. Most breast cancers are found in women who are 50 years of age or over. But breast cancer also affects younger women. About 1 in 10 diagnosed with breast cancer are under 45, and generally speaking, their cancer is in a later stage when it's discovered, often making it harder to treat. That's why our guest today, Dr. Nina Vinkoff, the Chief of Breast Imaging at Northwell Health, says every woman should go through a risk assessment at a younger age. Hello and welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm David Reich-Hale. Dr. Vinkoff, thank you for joining me.
1: David, thank you so much for
0: inviting me today. So, Dr. Vinkoff, let's begin by talking about the basics of breast cancer preventative care. What should every woman, no matter her age or risk, know?
1: The most important thing to know is that the guidelines that exist right now are confusing and it's okay to be confused. But if you are an average risk woman, you should be having a mammogram every year starting at the age of 40. And the reason why we say that is because those are the guidelines that save the most lives. There are a lot of guidelines out there and they weigh different kinds of risks and benefits differently. But for us here at Northwell and at the Cancer Institute and at the Katz Institute, the thing that we weigh the most heavily is lives saved from breast cancer. So that's the most important thing for women to know, is if you want to save the most lives, it's annual mammography
0: starting at age 40. But that's for the quote-unquote average woman. That's correct. So how do you even know if you are that average risk? And therein
1: lies the entire problem, is that every single one of these guidelines, no matter how much they agree— Or disagree with each other, they all have one piece of verbiage that's the same, and they all say, for average risk women. And the problem is that most women don't know what their risk is. Um, Here in our um, imaging center at Northwell, we actually do tell all of our patients based on the information that they give us what their risk is. But our patients don't come in until they're 40. So how does a 20-year-old woman or a 30-year-old woman know if she's average risk or not so how do you get them in there early for me that's the moonshot that's what I'd like to see happen I'd like to see every woman in their 20s I have a 21 year old and a 25 year old daughter Um, And I would love for every woman, every one of their friends, to be getting risk assessment when they're in their 20s. And the reason for that is because the high-risk screening guidelines are very different than the average risk screening guidelines. So if you're at elevated risk for breast cancer, you might need to have mammography starting at age 25 or 30, and you might need to have MRI starting at age 25. So we need to be screening these women and giving them risk assessment and telling them which category they're in while they're still in their 20s.
0: Who's doing the screening? For risk assessment? Yeah.
1: So right now, it's actually that that burden is falling on people's primary care doctors. And it's really difficult because as you know, you go to see your primary care doctor, whether it's an internist or for many women, their primary care doctor is their OBGYN, there's a lot to do in a 15- or 20-minute visit. And to take a full risk assessment during a 15- or 20-minute visit is almost impossible. We'll talk about it later, but there's a lot that goes into risk, and it's not a short conversation. I think in order to really succeed at doing this, we need to have people come to their visit with their doctor having already done that homework, so that then when they get into the doctor's office, they know which risk category they're in, and then they can have the conversation about what they need to do next. We're lucky because there's a lot of smart people that have put together risk calculators that ask all the important questions, and that information is available, and that's actually homework that you can do outside of your doctor's office. And it's actually probably the best time to do that kind of work, because in order to really do a good risk assessment, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to ask a lot of probing questions to people in your family, and you probably are going to need to take some time to sit down with those people and say, you know, what did Aunt Sue die from? And who in our family has had cancer? You may know a little bit, but you probably don't know enough to really know what your risk is.
0: What goes into a risk assessment?
1: So there's a lot of different ways you can do risk assessment, but basically it starts with a series of questions. And depending on which calculator you're using, the questions will be slightly different. But some things go into almost every risk calculator, which is family history. That's the single most important thing. Um, Beyond family history, though, depending on the calculator that you're using, the other things that might be included are going to be your age, are going to be your height and weight, because BMI are important, are going to be the use of hormone therapy in the past, are going to be radiation therapy that you may have had to the chest? Are going to be, um, are your, is your breast tissue dense, which is an independent risk factor for developing breast cancer? Have you had biopsies in the past and ever had any precancerous conditions, things that weren't cancer but were precancerous that required surgery? Has anybody in your family been tested for any of the genes that are associated with breast cancer? Do any of them have BRCA or any of the other genes associated with breast cancer? Those are just a few of the things um, that go into the risk calculators. And depending on which calculator you're using, they weigh those different factors differently. So the one that we use in breast imaging is the one called Tyre And the reason why we use that one is because that one goes back two generations of family history, so not just one. Um, And it also includes enough factors like dense breast tissue so that we can identify the patients that would most benefit from MRI. There are some risk calculators that are meant to identify women who would really benefit from genetic testing. And that's important too. So depending on who's doing your risk calculation, you might be using a calculator that's more geared towards, might you be somebody who has BRCA? Or the one that we use in breast imaging, which is geared more towards, might you be somebody who needs something more than mammography starting at age 40? We can't and shouldn't offer the highest level of imaging to every single person. And we can't and shouldn't offer genetic testing to every single person. So, you know, one of the reasons why we want to do these risk assessments is to identify the people that are going to benefit from all this higher level testing.
0: How many different types of risk assessments are there?
1: There are so many. I think there's at least seven or eight popular ones and probably more beyond
0: that. But all of them are going to come pretty close to putting you into the bucket that you should be in?
1: That's correct. So there's really three buckets for us. So unfortunately for us, we know breast cancer affects one out of every eight women. So we're talking about 12 and a half or so percent of women are going to develop breast cancer. Um, if you're in the category of 20% um, lifetime risk of developing breast cancer, that's what we consider high. And if you're in sort of the 15 to 20%, those are the sort of the intermediate may benefit from additional testing. But certainly the people who are in that greater than 20% risk of developing breast cancer, those are the people we're trying to find. Because those are the people who are really going to benefit from more testing and earlier testing. There's versions of almost all of these models available online because everybody who controls this information wants to put it in the hands of women. No one is trying to hide this information from women, just the opposite.
0: Who is at most risk for breast cancer based on these various models? And, what, and of course, what you've seen.
1: So everybody is at risk um, to some degree. But there are some people who are at risk for getting breast cancer when they're younger they're, or having the, um, the more aggressive forms of breast cancer, the ones that we call triple negative, for carrying the BRCA gene. And we're learning that there are certain racial and ethnic groups that definitely are at higher risk than others. Um specifically, I think we've really all come to understand over the course of the past few years that black women in particular tend to develop breast cancer younger and more aggressive, and they die more often of breast cancer, even um and they, and they die more they die younger of breast cancer and more often from breast cancer. So we're trying to get that information out to black women. You know, one of the problems that we've had in breast imaging is that the United States Preventive Services Task Force guidelines don't recommend screening until 50. And for black women, even 40 might not be early enough. But many of them are following the old guidelines, and I really think those guidelines are not serving them well. Um, The other group in our community that we worry a lot about, um, we have a lot of women of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage in this area, and they're also at increased risk for the same kinds of things, for the very aggressive kinds of cancers and for carrying the BRCA gene.
0: With with black women, how much of it... May have to do with inequities in care and not speaking to doctors as often, not having access to health care.
1: Some of it has to do with that, but that doesn't fully explain why, they're, um, why there's more of them that are developing cancer younger and why they're dying of breast cancer younger. So absolutely, there's some access. But I think it's also about the education. I think that... Um, I don't think that we really understood, and I think even a lot of of women's doctors don't understand that there is this inequity in risk itself, even if you take education and access out of the equation.
0: What percentage of breast cancers are in some way hereditary, and how many of them are—what percentage is— I guess the best way to use, best word to use is random.
1: Yeah, so we don't even actually know the answer to that question because there are so many genes that we're still finding out about. So, um, you know, th- what we do know is that the vast majority of the women who have who have breast cancer don't have a gene that we've yet identified. So, the typical woman that we're finding, the one out of eight, the twelve and a half percent, uh, it's only a very small percentage of those people who actually um, have a known genetic mutation. And that's actually why in breast imaging, while we're interested in identifying people who might have a genetic mutation, we're really interested in just identifying the people who are at high risk for reasons that we don't understand and getting those people into screening.
0: Which is why when you look at the questions in the risk assessment, there's a couple about genetics, of course, but then there's a whole list that are not about genetics. Right. Who else is at risk beyond, you mentioned Ashkenazi, Jewish women, black women...
1: Listen, I uh, you know, family
0: history. Has p- something. Yeah,
1: people with family history for sure. And it's not just the people who have a family history of breast cancer. One of the things that goes into our risk assessment is, is there a history of ovarian cancer and other kinds of cancers? If it turns out that you're in a family that has a lot of cancers, even if it doesn't have breast cancer, even if you don't know of someone in your family who has breast cancer, you're actually someone who should probably speak to a genetic counselor because you may have in your family a gene that so far has only expressed itself maybe in ovarian cancer and melanoma or in brain cancer, and you may be at risk for those, but you may also be at risk for breast cancer.
0: And then there's also, I I suppose, more risk for for breast cancer for women who have more dense breasts.
1: It's absolutely true. So I think for a long time, we thought that dense breast tissue was just something that made mammograms harder to read. So just to back up on what dense breast tissue is for anyone who doesn't understand— Um, everybody's breast is very particular to them. It's like a fingerprint. And they have all different kinds of composition. So some people's breasts are almost entirely fatty tissue. And some people's um, breasts are what we call dense. They're made up of fibroglandular tissue. Not only um, are mammograms maybe not going to be enough, maybe won't be quite as sensitive for you, you're also at risk for developing breast cancer more than a woman who has fatty breasts. And so we need to get that education out there.
0: So if a mammogram isn't good enough, what can you do?
1: So there's a lot of different choices of things that you can do. Um, Ultrasound is a great additional test. So um, we always talk about screening mammography as finding about five cancers per every thousand women that are screened. If you add ultrasound on top of that, you find another two. That doesn't sound like a lot, but we were finding five cancers per thousand. You add another two, that's actually quite a bit more. Um, But it's not the most sensitive. MRI is the best. So MRI um, will actually find anywhere between 10 and 15 additional cancers per 1,000 women screened. Um, It's the most sensitive test that we have. The only thing similar to it um, is a new technique that we actually have here at Northwell called contrast-enhanced mammography, where we actually give you dye and combine the dye with mammography. And when we give you the intravenous dye with the mammography, you end up with a mammogram that's similar um, in performance um, to MRI.
0: And with MRIs and sonograms, are there any extra risk in taking these tests annually?
1: I think it's a really great question. You know, um, people always talk about the risks and benefits of mammography, and. Um it's something that we can debate but the thing that I really think should be outside of debate is the risk of the radiation itself. So mammography is a very low radiation dose exam. In fact it's safe in women who are pregnant, it's safe in women who are breastfeeding and there's no reason even to stop having your mammogram if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. We offer women shielding but you actually don't even need the shielding because the dose is so low and the scatter is so low. So there's really in terms of radiation risk there's really no risk of mammography. Um, there is no risk at all of radiation if you're having an ultrasound because those are sound waves. Um, and as you know, we, of course, we use ultrasound on pregnant women. Um, ultrasound is completely safe. Same thing with MRI. MRI is using magnetic waves. So there's no radiation in MRI. Um, the way that we do MRI is we give you the injection of the contrast material, which is called gadolinium. And then the gadolinium actually is the thing that we use to find the cancers in MRI. There's some concern about having MRI every year for your entire lifetime and having that gadolinium. And um, I think the jury's still out on this. There have been some studies that show that maybe gadolinium is accumulating inside your body. And maybe we don't need to give gadolinium every single year. Maybe having an MRI every two to three years would be enough. Um, the jury's still out on that, And um, but I think MRI is a sensitive enough test And the evidence that it's dangerous is very, very small. Um, So at least based on what we know right now, the benefits definitely seem to outweigh the risks.
0: So Dr. Vinkoff, in the beginning of this conversation, you had mentioned that a lot of this can be confusing. And that makes it worth talking about insurance for a moment because some women fear not having some of these screenings covered. And obviously the out-of-pocket costs can be quite pricey.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that we're bringing this up because this is really important for women to know. Um, Northwell, obviously, we are here in New York. New York is actually a great place for breast cancer advocacy. We've had people who have fought for the rights of women, and your mammogram will actually get paid for if you have a New York insurer. I don't mean a government insurer, but private insurance. It's located here in New York, which is the vast majority of them. You will have your mammogram paid for annually starting at age 40. And in fact, you can actually have a baseline mammogram in your 30s so that there's something to compare to when you start at 40. And even better than that, if you have dense breast tissue, we have dense breast notification here in New York. So when you get your mammogram results, that letter that you get will tell you whether or not you have dense breasts. And if you do, you can have an ultrasound that will be paid for by your insurance. And here also in Northwell, we are telling you in your report whether you're high risk. And if you are, if you're in that higher than 20% lifetime risk for developing breast cancer, your insurance will pay for you to have an MRI, almost without exception.
0: Is there hope that what's happened in New York can be replicated nationally?
1: You know, I certainly hope so. You know, there are really passionate advocates across this country, and they've been able to do amazing work. You know, I think the breast density legislation is the best example of that. You know, it's the majority now of states um, across the country that have— density legislation which actually requires women to be notified if they have dense breasts and similarly there are advocates in every state of this country who are fighting for the rights of women to be educated and to have access to screening tests so I think the answer is yes we're very lucky to live in New York there's a million reasons why I love living in New York but the answer is yes these fights are going on and successfully um, across this country every day
0: if we could shift back to risk assessment specifically for a moment, sure. There's going to be a certain percentage of women who are going to be, who are going to come in as higher risk. How do you monitor them? Because is the, at that point the general practitioner the does this study look or looks at them and says okay you are you are higher risk. What happens next?
1: Yeah, I agree. So it, it's a problem because they can come and have their imaging. We're pretty clear on what. The imaging recommendations are, you know, if you're at increased risk, if you're in that greater than 20% lifetime risk for developing breast cancer, our recommendations are that you start having screening with MRI at the age of 25. But I think what you're alluding to here is really important. You know, someone should be managing you. That probably can't be your primary care doctor or your OBGYN. A lot of people will choose to have the person sort of overseeing their care um, to be a breast surgeon, even though they've never had breast cancer, and they've never had surgery. Um, We're actually in the process of developing here at Northwell High-Risk Clinic, which I think is going to provide that population the kind of support that they need. What they really need is someone to um, make sure that they're staying on track with their screening and then to help them with next steps in case anything is found on those screening tests. And we're going to be providing more of that kind of support actually within the next year. Right now, we offer navigation um, to any woman who is diagnosed with breast cancer in our system or anybody who needs breast surgery. Our navigators take over and they make everything easier for you, help you make your appointments, help you know what kinds of appointments you need. Um, But you're absolutely right that the women who haven't had cancer yet but are in that high-risk group, they need navigators too, and they need support. You know, it's a lot, I think, especially for a young woman who um, isn't, has never thought about her own mortality or having to take these kind of preventive actions um, without somebody to help support her, um, you know, both physically and
0: psychologically. It's also, psychologically is where I was going to get to, it's extremely scary. Yeah. I mean, the word cancer scares everybody. And for someone who doesn't have cancer yet to be told, hey, you don't have it, but you should worry about it for this reason, there's this sort of natural pulling back.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, um, while we manage cancer out of the Cancer Institute, I think what we're talking about right now is something that's more along the, the lines of wellness, right? I think um, there's a lot to be afraid of um, when women think about breast cancer, right? I mean, there's this month I'm wearing pink. We're all wearing pink. There's so much awareness. What we don't talk about enough is all the great optimistic things. And not only that, what we haven't talked about at all is the treatment keeps getting better, We have so many options. We have personalized treatment now that's actually based on the genetic makeup of the cancer that you have. So some people think there's been breast cancer in my family and I know what that's about. You don't because the breast cancers that we're diagnosing now, we understand them so much better and we can treat them so much better and there's so much to be optimistic about, but you just have to be willing to take some control over your own life.
0: A lot of this is not happening yet. When a woman in her mid-20s is going to her annual physical, this conversation doesn't necessarily take place. So how can a woman be her best advocate to make sure that this conversation does take place?
1: I think you cannot walk into your doctor's office assuming that they're going to do all the work for you. So I really think that you need to be an advocate for yourself. I think, you know, we're coming up to the holidays. We're all going to be seeing our families at, at Thanksgiving and whatever other holidays that we celebrate. And I think it's a really good time to try to collect that information. Really only one person in the family needs to do it, but somebody needs to do it and then share it with everybody. Um, and then you can go online. You can look at these risk calculators. You can ask yourself these questions and even try to do the calculation yourself. And that way, when you walk into your 15 or 20-minute visit with your doctor, you're prepared to say, I think I'm in this high-risk category. Um, maybe I need imaging. Or I think I might actually be at risk for carrying one of the breast cancer genes. Could I go and see a genetic counselor and see whether or not you know I would be appropriate for testing? I, taking the initial steps out of the office will allow you to have a much more productive conversation in the office.
0: Dr. Vinkoff, thanks so much for joining.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this was a pleasure. Let's do this some other time of the year that's not in October so we can remind people about breast cancer screening, maybe in March or April or something. I, th- like I think
0: that. that's a deal. All right. Sounds <laughs> Great. good. Thank you.
1: Take care. Get more expert insight from the leading voices in healthcare today. You can subscribe to 20-Minute Health Talk wherever podcasts are available.